five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Q Podcast. With the COVID-19 virus becoming a global pandemic, I wanted to talk to people within the space community about how their organizations are coping, and also get a little personal and talk about life at home. So today, the first community representative I'll be speaking with is from the academic world. My guest is Philip Ferguson. He's been on the show before. He's from the University of Manitoba, where he is the NSERC Magellan Aerospace Industrial Research Chair in Satellite Engineering. At the university, Philip teaches undergrad and grad courses and manages a satellite engineering lab. He's also married, has two children at last count, right? Uh, Two dogs, and lives outside of Winnipeg on a hobby farm. Hello, Philip. Hello, Mark. Good to see you. <laughs> um, we're doing things a little differently here. Um, you live in rural Manitoba, as it were, about uh, an hour out of Winnipeg or so. Right. And you have no cell coverage. You have uh, not the greatest internet coverage through satellite. Uh, no broadband. So you actually went to a town close to you and got a cell phone signal there. And you're in your truck, and we're doing this over FaceTime. This is the reality of the world. But um, having said that, you are a candidate for LEO Satellite Constellation Service, should it ever happen. I certainly am. That's right. Anything I can do to help that, I'm, I'm happy to support it. <laughs> so how are you doing in these extraordinary times? Well, you know, we're, we're doing okay. And, and I, I think actually uh, we are doing much better than I think anybody would have predicted. Uh, if you had have said to me a month ago that we would all be working from home and trying to find ways to deliver our courses and have final exams and manage graduate research programs. Um, you know, I, I think we have found our new normal. Uh, and we, uh, I think we have a lot of people to thank for that. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, definitely the, what the university has been doing to support us and our IT folks that support us. But, um, you know, it's obviously a little more challenging, but we're making ends meet. We're, 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 getting, we're getting done what we need to get done. And uh, I think we're all pretty happy about that. Now, was it a difficult transition from, you know, commuting into work, going into your lab, going to teach, from doing that to, hey, IT department, how am I going to teach my classes at home? Uh, how am I going to work with my grad students? Uh, you know, how, how was that transition? Was it relatively smooth? Were there hiccups or was the IT department working 24 hours a day? You know, the IT department really did pull out all the stops. Uh, you know, I... Um it's it's funny. I mean, there are a lot of heroes, I think, in this time, and we tend to point towards the frontline workers, the people that are working in the hospitals, the nurses, the doctors, uh, the medical staff, and they're all very important, obviously. But I think from from where I stand, uh, given that myself and my students and my lab group, thankfully, are not ill, uh, the people that are really saving the day for us are the IT staff. Uh, they're making sure that we have the video uh, links that we need. They set up. Microsoft Team Center. They set up Zoom meetings for us and WebEx meetings. And we were able to conduct all of our 
uh, lectures over um, over the internet. Uh, we were able to set up final exams and final projects and execute all of that over the internet. And I think that probably most importantly, what we were able to do as a university community is work very closely with students and make sure that as a result of this pandemic, they're not going to get a bum rap here. That uh, They're not gonna end up losing their term. Uh, if um, if they had trouble at the beginning of the term, we wanted to give them the option of redeeming themselves as, as, themselves, as many of them uh, can do in, in normal times. If uh, maybe they had a bad midterm or a bad project, they can uh, pick things up on the final exam. And, and so we made sure that those students had options for them. Uh, and, uh, and I really wanna throw a shout out to not just the university administration, you know, the Senate here at the University of Manitoba, but also the student groups, the, um, uh, University of Manitoba Engineering Society that worked very closely with the professors and the administration here uh, to communicate what the students needed. Uh, and, and I think we've we've really come to a really good, um, uh, you know, a, a good agreement on how we can let students uh, keep their term, uh, even if they experience some challenges as a result of this pandemic. Now, I'm kind of curious. So, we're talking uh, in this unusual way <laughs> with, yes. you, with you going to this town that's close to where you live. But I mean, when you're yep. dealing with teaching classes, uh, you know, answering calls, uh, you know, well, I suppose regular phone service is fine. Um, but I mean, how are you doing it with your students? I mean, you, is your Internet connection acceptable enough that you can do it? Or do you actually have to go to this town every time you need to do a lecture? Well, yeah, so great question. Um, my students and I have gotten really used to um, speaking with long time lags. You know, it's funny. I remember when I was a kid making a long distance phone call. And I mean, it seems like eons ago, but there was a time when the delays were not what they are today. Right. And we had to say something and wait for grandma to respond. And you needed to give that time. So you're not speaking over top of each other. And we've we've kind of gotten used to that. It's still obviously very difficult. Um, I think actually one of the biggest challenges, and I know you haven't really gotten into the personal aspect of this yet, but one of the biggest challenges that I have is that it's not just me in the house using my internet. It's also my wife who's working from home. She works for Precision Hawk, a drone company out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, it's my kids that are trying to connect with their teachers and get assignments for their math class and their um, English class. Um, you know, and then all of their friends that are calling because they're losing their minds and need to talk to people. And so our bandwidth is stretched for a lot more reasons than than just me. So um, so I we have to timeshare, right? So I work out with my wife. Well, when do you have calls today? So she had a bunch of calls this afternoon. So I thought, well, okay, I'll drive into Beausager. I need to pick up a few things anyway. And uh, that, that's, that, that's, that's why I'm here. But when I'm teaching lectures, that sort of takes priority in the household for bandwidth. So so the kids and my wife stay off the internet. I use what little bandwidth we have, and uh, we get it done. You know, and and I think the the students have been really understanding. They they know that I live out uh, in the middle of nowhere with bad internet, and so if we have to stop and reconnect and uh, maybe um, share a few notes that I wouldn't normally have shared, so that they get a better lecture. Um, we're doing that sort of thing right now, and it uh, so far it seems to be working. 
So shout out to uh, Telesat. Uh, get your uh, Leo Constellation. Uh, <laughs> pick who's going to build it. Decide when it's going to get construction starts, and let's get those satellites going. Because one we web's one web's not going to do it now in Canada, at least not in the foreseeable future. <laughs> no, well, exactly. And I mean, you know, I I, I don't want to cast any shade on on the the rural internet providers. I mean, we're we're with ExploreNet, and I think they're doing a great job. And ExploreNet has actually done wonderful things things to um, waive overage fees. And I mean, we're in a plan right now that doesn't have overage fees, but they're waiving the throttling for us. And so, I, I mean, uh, certainly I would not even be able to start doing this job if it weren't for the service that I get from ExploreNet. But but uh, I know I'm not alone when I say that rural internet across Canada is a challenge. And uh, I think we need to look to the space industry to help us out there. All right. Well, let's talk about your students. So, sure. uh, I mean, how are they adjusting to uh, classroom over the internet? I mean, they're obviously a younger generation. They grew up with the internet. Um, are they, for the most part, uh, not having any issues, um, you know, being at home and, and doing class at home? Yeah, I, um, it, you know, it's funny. I, I think I think the students have adapted much better than the professors have, and for the most part, um, they they seem to um, be taking this like a fish to water. Uh, there have been a few hiccups along the way. Um, you know, interestingly, I've got students that use some pretty specialized versions of um, software. You know, we use NX Space Systems Thermal. Uh, we use STK, uh, Satellite Toolkit. And uh, some of those uh, uh, software packages, we've had a few hiccups trying to get them to work remotely. In, in one case, actually, because the Satellite Toolkit license that I have was node-locked, we actually decided it was easier to pick up the computer and move it to the student's house right now because it, it just works better than trying to do that use that software remotely uh, but then other things like uh, NX Space Systems Thermal uh, and our NX Nastran that we use for all of our satellite modeling uh, that's working seamlessly over the internet. Uh, we're able to connect to our licensed server at the U of M. And again, our, our IT staff have been working around the clock to make sure that all of that works well. Now, I, I mean, I, I, think, I think where things have been a challenge is um, I, I think myself and my students sort of took for granted how easy it was for a student to come into my office and we could stand at a whiteboard and start spitballing, draw some block diagrams, start sketching out equations, pointing at terms, circling terms, wondering how we approximate that derivative. Um, it's, uh, uh, you know, we still do that, but it's a lot more difficult, right? And and I think, um, you know, the, the body language cues that you take from people when you're talking to them, when you're trying to understand if somebody is understanding you, uh, that's a challenge during lectures, but it's even more so of a challenge when I'm having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a student. Um, you know, and, and I have a range of students, right? Students that are just beginning their master's degree. I've got some students that are getting ready to graduate with master's right now. I have other students that are right in the thick of their PhD, and I have other students that are just starting their PhD now. And I also have a postdoc that uh, has been around for a while and is now trying to adjust to to his new norm. Um, and, and so, so I think. Um, you know, every student is in a slightly different part of their research program and they need different kinds of support. So, you know, I, I think for the for the more senior students that kind of have their marching orders already and they sort of see that path to their graduation, um, they're having a bit of an easier time. 
assuming they don't need access to labs. And I do have a few students that are waiting for laboratory access, which is which is a challenge. Um, but I think, you know, those students that are just kind of getting started, they're the ones that need a little bit more uh, guidance. They they they're the ones that I tend to have more frequent meetings with where we sit around the whiteboard, we talk about literature, we draw pictures on my whiteboard. Those are the ones where I think it's been a bit of a challenge. But even then, we're experimenting with different tools like using Zoom's whiteboard uh, uh, application there. Uh, we also share screens with PowerPoint. We can draw little block diagrams back and forth. So we're making it work. Um, I think we're doing it a lot better this week than we were last week, and we were better than the week before. So uh, yeah. the slope is positive. I think you made a really good point there at the beginning that uh, we take for granted the uh, facial body movements recognition of a person that's next to us when we're communicating something. And when you have to do it over video, it's it's not the same thing. And um, as I've gotten used to, because a lot of my podcast recording are, uh, you know, they're remote and they're just audio, you know, yeah. the person sometimes doesn't get the cue that okay we have to move on to the next question right right exactly and, and sometimes you know i've had guests who, who who don't even though you tell them you know don't run on for five minutes they'll just keep on going and you really don't want to interrupt them because you don't want to interrupt the flow but they just don't seem to to, to follow that um that uh that, you know that they need to, to change but all right so so we talked about that now from the student's perspective how is the school year? I mean, is the school year getting extended? Is it, uh, are you still on track? I mean, uh, you know, and, and then after that, how is this going to transition into a new school year in September? Well, do you think you'll be back in the classroom or will you still be doing this? Yeah, so great question. Um, so I, I'm really pleased to say, and I just learned this in the faculty meeting we had last week, that we were able to close out all of the courses that we were delivering for the winter term. Uh, all of them have now completed, and some of them still have a few final exams left, but uh, all the marks are being entered right now, and we were successfully able to close out this term. I'm also thrilled to say that um, all of the summer courses that we would normally offer are still being offered. They're being offered in a remote sense. Uh, there is no in-person teaching until at least the end of the summer for the University of Manitoba. We don't really know what's going to happen in September. Uh, we are preparing ourselves for the worst, in which case, and the worst being that we may have to continue offering um, uh, online courses uh, throughout September. Uh, but I think we're ready. I, we've learned a lot about how to do that over this past little while, and uh, we really haven't missed a beat. The university is still operating the way that we normally would in terms of teaching classes to students, in terms of advising graduate students, and uh, doing our best to get the research done without having access to the labs. So, so, so far, we're firing on all cylinders uh, to the extent that we can. Now, now we transition to, okay, so students in classrooms, but you still have a lab and you can't <laughs> access the lab really, at least not with your students. I don't know. Do you go, do you go to the lab on your own or do you just not go at all? No, no, we're, we're not going at all. Uh, okay. the, the buildings are closed. So lab work is important. Um, and you deal with hardware, software. I mean, you can deal with the software in terms of, you know, remotely doing stuff with your students, but, you know, hardware. So how are you dealing with, with the lab aspect and, and, and your research with that? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. Um, so in some cases, we were able to see this coming to some extent. So I've got a master's student right now that's working on uh, dynamic learning algorithms for drones uh, as a as a stand-in for satellites. And so when we saw the lockdown starting to come about. I said, well, let's get in the lab right now and collect a whole bunch of data, right? We're going to collect a lot of data that we can work on for the next couple of months should we not have access to the lab anymore. So, um, you know, of course, now that we're one month into looking at that data, we're like, oh, boy, I wish you had collected something different or I'd like to get in there and collect a little bit more. Um, but for the most part, we seem to be doing OK there. Where we have challenges are for other projects. You know, I have a student right now that I'm co-supervising with a student in electrical engineering. We're making new um, antennas that are embedded into satellite structures. And um, we're really uh, waiting for the nanofabrication lab to reopen again so that we can start fabricating some of these antennas and then testing them in the antenna lab. There's no, we've done a lot of simulations. Um, we've done a lot of case studies. At this point, we're just kind of waiting for hardware. So so that student is now trying to write as much of her thesis as she can. Uh, but we are sort of in a bit of a holding pattern waiting for labs to open up again. Now, um, the, the good news with this work, though, is that we don't necessarily need to have all the labs open all at the same time and letting hundreds of students in all at, all at once. I mean, what we're expecting is that when labs do reopen, they will reopen very slowly with very strict social distancing rules in effect. So maybe maybe the labs are time shared. We might need to go to the lab in the middle of the night and uh, use it in our little time slot and then leave the lab so that somebody else can use it. So that's kind of what we're expecting. Uh, but for now, but now we're just getting caught up on writing. And so what, what I'm telling my students is I expect some really, really wonderfully written theses because you have a lot of time to edit them. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're, we're doing as much as we can. But so you're adapting, but it's still a problem. And if this goes on for a longer term, it becomes more of a problem. Uh, it, it, it does. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I also... You know, in the context of throwing shout outs to people that deserve that, I will throw a shout out to NSERC, uh, who has done, um, I, I think, has gone above and beyond to make sure that the researchers are supported. They're offering, offering automatic extensions to um, existing grants. They're offering automatic, ex offering automatic extensions to discovery grants uh, and making sure that we have what we need to, to be successful. Um, I should also point out, too, that um, none of my students are going without a paycheck, right? And so we're making sure that the students continue to get paid uh, from these grants. And, and the granting agencies are reaching out to us to say, how can we, what can we do to help? Um, like I said, they're giving us extensions. I so far haven't really had anybody reach out and give me a bunch of money to continue paying graduate students. But, um, you know, we're, we're able to make ends meet. Uh, and it's important to me that the students continue to get paid and that uh, we do something that looks like the research that we said we were going to do when we wrote the proposal. All right. Uh, have you experienced any uh, Zoom booming or anything like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, no, but but I but I will say that uh, after the whole Zoom bombing thing kind of broke, uh, 
it became more difficult for us to hold our Zoom meetings because Zoom uh, proactively activated all of these security features. <laughs> so I, I have a Zoom professional account that I share with my lab, and we have just a standing meeting room that we all go to to have discussions. And all of a sudden, with no warning, they password protected the whole thing, and I can't turn that password off anymore. So, I mean, we're rolling with it, but uh, but no, we've never been bombed. Yeah. Um... I think it was, you know, there's obviously been some issues. There's even been some countries that have banned the total use of it. And I think that's going a little overboard because uh, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of people still using it. And as long as you take certain precautions, I think it's not too bad. Uh, And I haven't come across anybody who's had any issues. No, I mean, what I told my students, I did address it with them. And I said, look, I know that this is becoming a problem. I've heard of it becoming problems in people's PhD defenses. And I just said, you know, uh, I'll pay attention to what's going on. I know everybody that's on the call. If I see somebody goofing around on the call, I'll kick them out. And if we need to, we'll just end the call. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think that as long as you're having small meetings and you're paying attention with who is who's in the meeting and you're making sure that everybody names themselves appropriately, uh, you know, I think a little bit of common sense prevails. And I think everybody's not going to have an excuse in the future to know how to use Zoom, how to use GoToMeeting, how to use WebEx, because it's <laughs> all being used. <laughs> well, exactly. Right. And, and it's and it's our new normal. Right. And people I think that's maybe a little bit overused, but we're getting used to it. And, uh, and you know, I, frankly, I think that also our, our uh, teleconferencing technology is improving dramatically now as a result of this, which probably a long time coming. Maybe we needed this kick a little bit. All right. Now, um, let's transition a little bit to the personal side. Sure. Um, like you said, your wife works full time and she works for Precision Hawk, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Who you used to work for. Yes. Um, your kids are at home. How old are your kids? Kids are 14 and 10. 14 and 10. And so, so how are they doing? One's in grade five. Yeah. How are they doing with school? You know, that's hard. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's, I've had people say to me, they're like, hey, Phil, you know, you're a professor. You teach people and do research for a living. Uh, must be easy for you, right? You're just going to teach your kids now too, right? Boy, I can tell you, um, it is difficult teaching your kids. Uh, I find it much easier teaching a classroom full of university students about spacecraft dynamics and control or aerodynamics than I find that easier than it is to teach long division to a uh, 10-year-old or, uh, you know, fractions to a 14-year-old. Um, it, it's, uh, I, I, I wish I could put my finger on it. Um, I know that um, a lot of other parents say the same thing. They say they find it difficult sometimes to teach your own kids. Um, I think it's 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 really hard. I think the hardest part about it is trying to be a dad and a teacher at the same time. And usually those two things don't overlap or they don't overlap in the academic sense. You know, like I I can go out and teach my kids how to get eggs in the morning or teach them how to, I don't know, cut up a tree for firewood or something. That that seems different than teaching a kid how to do long division. Um, There's that emotional attachment to your kids that never goes away. Uh, And 
and that's a challenge, right? I mean, we, we've seen that, you know, for a period of time, my, my wife had tried to teach kids dance lessons and I tried to teach music lessons for a little while to my kids too. And it's, and it's really difficult. You know, I, I, uh, hats off to people that make homeschooling work for them all the time. I think we're all realizing as parents how difficult that is. But, you know, um, I think one of the things that the, that my kids feel, uh, that sometimes I think I don't give enough credit to is their lack of social interaction. Um, in, in some senses, I mean, I, I feel it too. I've been talking to my colleagues over the phone and saying that, one of the things we miss is just walking down the hallway and having a brief conversation with other faculty members or other researchers that we see in the hallway. And, and those conversations are important because they help us drive our research. But but I don't think we're really realizing how important that is for the kids, too. Right? The kids go to school, they hang out by their lockers, they talk to each other, they're having recess and lunchtime or whatever. And they don't have any of that. And, and I think so we've had to have a lot of conversations with our kids about that anxiety. But I think they're they're finding ways to make it work. Also, you know, my my youngest is in cheerleading and they have uh, almost daily meetings over Zoom with her team. And 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 they're not even I mean, they have practices, too, where they they have tumbling practice and they work out in the basement and they've got cameras on them so they can see each other. But they also just have social get togethers, too. And I think that's really important for them. Are, are they getting uh, some distance learning as well? I mean, or is, it's not just you that's teaching them. Well, no, that's true. I mean, they're not really getting distance learning in the sense of what I'm doing or like they don't they don't tune into a class where their teacher is delivering a class. The teacher does send assignments over email uh, and then we help them to get through those assignments and submit them. So it's it's not really the same as what we're doing. uh, But really, I think most of the teaching is now coming from mom and dad. It's the school of mom and dad. Um, and, and actually, I, I can't take much credit for this. It's really the school of mom. Uh, you know I mean, she's, <laughs> she's doing most of it. Um, and I help out when I can. Hi. Now, you live in uh, rural Manitoba uh, on a hobby farm. And the last time we talked about this in the podcast was, uh, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, a year yep. ago. Anyway, you were just getting chickens. So. Yes. Now you've had the chickens for a while. You're about to get pigs, I understand. Do you yeah. have any, any other animals? Uh, no. We, so we have lots of different kinds of chickens coming now. Uh, well, actually, we're switching to a different breed. I'm going to try the dual-purpose breed because we, we would like to breed our own chickens now. Where we're saying, okay, instead of buying chicks every year, we'd like to hatch them ourselves. So, so we're moving to a, a, a heritage breed chicken. I'm getting uh, 40 chicks uh, later next month. And uh, early next month, I'm getting a couple of uh, uh, Berkshire pigs that'll be running around the forest here in my, uh, on my property. So, so that'd be a lot of fun, you know. And, I, you know, I have to say, I, we feel really lucky that we can do this sort of thing. Um, you know, every morning I get up and I take our two dogs for a five-kilometer walk out through the forest. And we don't see anybody, right? So I'm still social distancing because there's nobody out there. It's just me and the dogs and some deer and a few cranes. So um, it, it's it's great for us to be able to get out and do that sort of thing and not run into anybody. Um, it's great for me to be able to go out and work in the chicken coop or work in the pig pen and uh, get that stuff ready. Um, you know, I, I, as you had mentioned at the start of this, I live about an hour outside of the university. And so normally I would spend two hours a day in my car 
driving to and from the university. So now I use that time just to get kind of caught up on farm chores. Um, I still start my work day at the same time I would normally would in the university, and I end my work day the same time I normally would. But now I kind of have these extra two hours, and and, uh, and I'm involving the kids too. They they come out. They're helping me set up the big pen, and they're helping me get the gardens ready. And we're getting ready for the chicks to show up in uh, in a few weeks. Uh, so you know what? It's it, it's good. It's good. But you still have to go to the grocery store. You know, not very much. Uh, we have started to go to the grocery store in the last week, but only because we just now ran out. We're starting to run out. We haven't run out yet, but we're starting to run out of the vegetables we grew last summer. So we're still eating corn and uh, spinach and squash and potatoes. And we just had our last onion last week, actually. Uh, so, you know, for the most part, we're eating uh, we're eating chickens that we grew last year or eating deer and bear that I hunted last year um, and uh, rabbits that I hunt in the backyard. And so we've got a full freezer full of meat and uh, mostly full freezer full of vegetables too. So we do have to get to the grocery store for milk every now and then and butter and salt. I can't, I can't create salt on my farm. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and I, I take it you get fresh eggs? We do. We get fresh eggs every day. Um, and, uh, no, I'm and, jealous. <laughs> No, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I have to tell you, not not to rub it in, but we have too many eggs. You know, normally I I have a little supply chain going at, at the university where I sell eggs to some of the other professors and staff, and now I've got nowhere to take those eggs. So my my eldest child, Wendy, uh, who's also in culinary school at um, at the high school here in in Winnipeg, the Techlock High School, uh, so they're finding interesting things to do with eggs, and I can tell you, we are full of meringues. <laughs> Wendy has been learning how to make meringues and every week we get a new batch of different colored meringues and then we had a lemon meringue pie and so it's finding new ways to use all the eggs that we have. It's, it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been getting a little closer to the land with the extra time that you've had. So uh, that's a good thing, I suppose. Yeah, it's good. And, you know, it's um, it's an interesting time of the year to be close to the land too, I have to say, because, yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've noticed when we moved out to Manitoba is that when spring comes, it's just boom. It's like it was winter and now it's spring. And whoops, I'm sorry about that. I hit that power button there. Um, when it when it becomes spring, uh, it really means it, you know. And so now as I'm going on my walk, you know, my walk, normally I'd be walking over ice. Now I'm kind of walking through some mud puddles. But then in the mornings, things are still kind of frozen a little bit. So it, it's been... Um, it's been interesting uh, to watch the seasons in a way that I've never really been able to see them before because my life had been so busy. So now I got a little bit of extra time. Now you're in the space business. Do you have a telescope? I do. I do. In fact, I just got one. I'm, I'm, I'm actually embarrassed to say that I had not had a telescope, like a real one, uh, until recently. And I, I got one and I started goofing around with it. And of course, you, you, you know, I, I, I used to, uh, it's funny, I, I used to date an astronomer and she used to make fun of me all the time because whenever I used the big telescope at University of Toronto, the first thing I wanted to do was look at the moon. And, and she would say to me, she'd say, well, don't do that. That's terrible. You're not supposed to look at the moon. That ruins your night vision, right? You're supposed to look at stars that are really dim. And I said, yeah, but I want to see those craters, right? I want, I want to see what it's like up there. And uh, so what did I do? The first time I got this telescope, I went and set it up uh, in the middle of the winter, this past winter, and I looked at the moon and I called the kids out. It was a crescent moon and we could see the shadows and the craters and it was awe-inspiring, you know? And then, and then my 
youngest daughter, Laura, pointed at a big dot in the sky and said, what's that? And I said, that's Venus. And she said, can we look at it? I said, sure. And we did. And, and I, I focused in on Venus. And I think for the first time ever, I saw a crescent Venus, uh, which was astounding to me. I thought, wow, this is, this is so cool. Uh, and I've been missing this my whole life. So, yeah, we, um, we use the telescope quite a bit now uh, out uh, on the farm. Have you seen? Have the have the the sky seemed clearer? <laughs> you know, I haven't noticed any difference, uh, but I live out in the middle of nowhere anyway, so it's always clear where I live. Now, I remember when I first started to use a telescope. I was quite young. The 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 two things that just blew me away was the first time I saw. Saturn and the rings of Saturn through a telescope. And the yep. first time I looked at Jupiter and I could see some of the moons. Have your kids experienced that? I, no, they, they haven't. Uh, and and I'm, I'm not good enough at the telescope yet to be able to do that, but uh, hopefully soon, because uh, it, it is astounding. I, I think Saturn's next on my to-do list. All right. Well, I think we're going to leave it there today. Um, I, I think I got a, a, a really good sense of how you're doing, your students are doing, your family's doing, and hopefully our audience will uh, have a good uh, understanding of that as well. Excellent. Well, thanks for your time, Mark. I appreciate it. Stay well. Well, that's a wrap on this podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, that's only if you like us. Your rating and review will help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. And hey, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash SpaceQ.